0: Welcome to The Pond. I'm your host, Vincent Walden, part of the Tom Fox Compliance Podcast Network. With me today, I'm really excited to have Leslie Benton, Vice President with Ethicsphere, focusing on helping companies with their anti-corruption program assessment and benchmarking. So hi, Leslie, how are you?
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me today. I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Good, good. Well, given the circumstances we're recording this, we're all at home and working from home these days in isolation due to the coronavirus outbreak, which we'll touch on in a minute. But before we get started in traditional kind of Walden Pond sense, I would be remiss not to open up with a quote from Henry David Thoreau. And this one I think is most appropriate given the coronavirus, and I think you'll get a chuckle. But Henry David Thoreau, 150 plus years ago, he says, I find it wholesome to be alone the greater part of the time. To be in company, even with the best, is soon wearisome and dissipating. I love to be alone. I never found the companion that was so compatible as solitude. Yeah. I don't know if it's that extreme, but I figured of all the quotes out there, there's lots on the internet. That was one that was appropriate given these times. What do you think about that one, Leslie?
1: It's perfect. Yeah, it's,
0: it's perfect. perfect. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, as we get started, tell us before we jump into kind of what Ethisphere is doing, there's some really cool things that I've been looking at. Tell us about your role and how did you get to be vice president there? Okay,
1: well, let's see. I am a lawyer by training. I've been working in the area of anti-corruption for the better part of my career, you know, several decades. I started in a law firm really before corruption was even really at the top of the international agenda and the agenda of the enforcement authorities in the United States. And so I was sort of there at the beginning when we started seeing the fcpa force in really vigorously in the early 2000s and through you know sarbanes oxley so i feel like i've kind of grown up with the field in this area and i did a lot of work for companies everything from drafting policies to internal investigations to really the whole you know panoply of things in the uh, compliance area and after a number of years i moved to transparency international working on a really wide array of corruption issues from a more public policy perspective. So I've seen these issues from the private sector side, from the sort of NGO civil society side. And I came to Ethosphere a couple of years ago to sort of bring it all together, really. I work with companies, as you said, assessing anti-corruption compliance programs and helping them improve those programs over time. And I'm working for a purpose-driven organization that is really focused on defining what's good. We see so much of what's bad. All you have to do is look at a newspaper. I enjoy working for a company and with a group of people who are really trying to define what's good and to shine a light on Those kinds of examples for other companies. So we really feel like we're raising the bar and working with some really great people to do that. So that's with my career trajectory.
0: I love that background. And you know, I see on more and more companies these days, even on their homepage, when Ethisphere does the world's most ethical Mm -hmm. companies list, that's something that companies. I mean, they're putting it front and center on the website, not in some legal back or compliance page, but right on the home page. And I think that's pretty cool. Are you involved in some of those calculations, at research?
1: I have been, you know, we're really lucky to work with companies who are striving to continually improve their compliance programs. And of course, the world's most ethical company designation is really about ethics, not just about anti-corruption compliance, but about ethics sort of overall. And we see great examples And, you know, we've seen that companies who are doing good things also do well in terms of their business. You know, there's an ethics premium that we've been able to identify among the companies that are on the world's most ethical company list year over year. I think companies are looking for that kind of quantification of something that's essentially qualitative. And it's good to be able to point out that companies who are doing good also do well in terms of their business. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I've seen that chart. That is very cool. Well, I'd be remiss not to talk about just kind of what's going on around the nation and the world right now and how compliance officers are being challenged among all C-suite executives around the coronavirus outbreak and guidance. I mean, again, that's not necessarily the, the main topic of the show. I want to get into what Ethics is doing, but I wanted to get your sense, you know, at my organization, at Alvarez & Marcel, we're seeing communications from our chief marketing officer reminding us to be mindful of what we put on social media and not get too political one way or the other about the issue. Our chief information security officers reminding us to beware of predators out there online that are taking advantage of perhaps bogus links that say coronavirus to try to get you to click. And of course, our executive leadership and compliance are reminding us, are giving us helpful tips on how to work from home, accessing the VPN, making sure that clients know that we're available still, but online and working remote. Are you seeing, and again, it's so new and fluid, but what's your take on uh, what chief compliance officers might or should be doing during these kind of troubling times to demonstrate leadership to the teams?
1: Well, I agree with everything that you've said, and certainly we're seeing that among the companies that we're working with. So that is communicating frequently and transparently you know trying to really lead this is a time for companies to really highlight their culture and that's something that we talk about a lot at Ethisphere how important culture really is and so that means supporting your employees understanding when they need to take leave as you said helping them work from home and what does that mean for them This morning, I was on a call with a group of compliance officers, and we were talking about third-party relationships and what we should be expecting now of our business partners. What we talked about is taking the long view. These are relationships that are important. They're human beings. We're all in the same boat. So both within your company, communicating, uh, being true leaders, supporting your employees, that goes for your third parties as well. These are relationships that are gonna outlast this situation. We're all gonna come out of it stronger. And now is a time for companies to really step up and show leadership in these areas.
0: I love that. The consideration of the third parties and whether that's being helpful with terms or payment terms or flexibility somehow. It's a great reminder. Well, I'm an optimistic. Hopefully this is just a couple more weeks, but we shall see. Let me switch gears on you real quick. So tell us about The Ethisphere's compliance assessment platform is doing around anti corruption, as well as I think other risk areas like cyber and information governance, as well. What's the high level summary of what that platform is?
1: Okay. Well, you know, most people know Ethisphere for our work on overarching compliance programs, but we also have these sort of topical assessment areas where we really take a deep dive. And as you say, anti corruption cybersecurity, protection of trade secrets, and confidential business information, and protection of intellectual property. And we have created a methodology for companies to use to assess their programs internally, but also, and we do quite a bit of work here, with third parties, and hence the conversation that I was having with my colleagues this morning. That methodology involves a platform Where we have a self assessment that companies can take to really understand the maturity of their program in any of those areas that I've mentioned. I'll talk about anti corruption just as an example because that's my area. And then to help them understand where gaps are so that they can improve over time. And the way that we approach program assessments is different than. Some companies, we don't sort of ask yes no questions. We really encourage companies to take a deep dive into their own programs, really understand maturity. And that's something that we can then track for them over time. So, as opposed to yes no questions, our questions are multiple choice questions in our assessment tools that really allow companies to address where they're doing really well which is something that we always want to highlight and where they may have gaps. And that kind of maturity scoring gives companies a metric that they can track over time as they improve. Something I mentioned earlier about really trying to quantify what is essentially qualitative sort of these compliance programs, but we're always looking for ways that we can give companies metrics and performance indicators that they can use to track their improvement. So the platform that we have houses our self-assessments. We have other tools and resources that companies can use ultimately to ensure that their program is sort of in a cycle of continual improvement.
0: I noticed, Leslie, that in this, what you baked into this assessment incorporates a lot of the DOJ guidance. OECD guidance and other guidance. Anything in particular that you personally baked in there that you want to highlight that's particularly useful in doing this assessment?
1: Well, certainly we did look at DOJ and SEC guidance, but we did not want our assessment to be purely US focused. You know, we Mm -hmm. have um, a global client base and we wanted to look at other important laws and regulations. So, Brazil Clean Companies Act. Obviously, the UK Bribery Act, Second in France, others. We looked at some of the voluntary initiatives like Transparency International's business principles, the WEF PACHI principles. We looked at some of the multilateral guidelines from, for example, the OECD and the World Bank. So we really tried to sort of bake in what we saw as leading guidelines. Another thing that we took into consideration is the relatively new ISO 37001 standard. Just a little aside, I was part of the U.S. technical advisory group and one of the handful of drafters of that standard, which was a really fascinating experience, really learning from colleagues all over the world, their perspective on corruption obstacles that they face and then things that work and things that don't work in terms of compliance programs. So learned so much from that that we also baked into the way we sort of think about assessing companies. So we really tried to look very broadly. And then I would say we tried to make from that our own recommendations very, very, very practical. And sort of right. not just, you know, you should have a diligence program, but how should you go about setting one up? So really step by step, what should companies do to implement effective programs?
0: Oh, that's cool. I love that it's not just U.S. It's kind of holistic in nature yes. in terms of what you're putting together. But let's talk about quickly, my favorite part of it is the benchmarking component. Yes. It's, you know, I think one of the drivers is how is my compliance program relative to my peer group? or by my industry peers. And tell us about the benchmarking aspect of what this platform does.
1: Well, absolutely. So that's one of my favorite things too. And it's actually one of the favorite things of our clients. I think companies really are interested in seeing this kind of information. So I mentioned the way we kind of score maturity assessments. We ask questions on a maturity scale of one to five and we assign a score to companies in each of the areas that we assess. Everything from their policies and procedures to the way they train their folks, to how they monitor their program, to how they take corrective action, just sort of the whole gamut. Sure. And it's those scores then that we use kind of as our benchmark data. So we have scores of all the companies that have gone through our assessments. And this is true for corruption, as is my example today, but also for all of the assessments that we do. Of course, it's blinded, aggregated. But we can tell you what our global average is in an industry, in a country or geography, by public or private sector, small or large, how many employees a company has. You know, we can slice and dice our information in a variety of ways. And we use those scores as sort of our benchmarking data set. So you can have as a company, if you're going through, we're going to tell you where you fit in the global average of companies that have taken our assessment. So
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm just curious. So I'd imagine do you have some examples of after a company's taken the assessment and they've identified gaps relative to their peer groups, what are they doing with the information? Are they putting programs are they immediately trying to fix or are they trying to come up to their peer group, or how are companies reacting to their assessment once they yeah, I do
1: think companies take the peer group information into account. So It depends, of course, on the gaps that we find. But I will tell you that when we find gaps, our clients are working very diligently to respond. Sometimes we work with them. Sometimes they use their own internal resources to do sort of improvement. But it really can run the gamut to instituting new or simplified policies. Policy simplification is something that we really, really care about. And it could be taking a different approach to training. It could really run the gamut. We've worked with companies recently to help them improve their investigations protocols. It really depends. It depends on the company.
0: Right, right. That's really interesting. Well, we have time for kind of one more question. And I like to kind of conclude with advice to our legal and compliance professionals out in the audience in terms of what advice do you have with them out there in terms of assessing their own maturity? Obviously, if they're not doing benchmarking or, or what have you? What can or should they be doing to assess or evaluate their program? What advice do you have for the listeners out there?
1: Well, whether you're using your own internal resources or going out to a trusted advisor, companies should be monitoring their programs and they should be monitoring the behavior of their third parties as well. As we all know, looking at these cases that we see popping up. Third parties present so much opportunity for companies, but they also present risks. So understanding your own program and doing this more than once every couple of years, but really kind of baking into the sort of regular cadence of compliance activities is so important. And then just ensuring that you're also looking at whether your third parties are living up to your compliance expectations, we see a lot of companies spending tremendous time and resources on due diligence, which is absolutely necessary, but may not always be sufficient. I would really encourage companies to be taking a a look at the behavior of their third parties, and this can be short of a formal audit. You can do that certainly, but it's good to sort of take the temperature of your third parties let them know that you're there as a resource as well if they have questions. Make sure they are reporting to you if something is happening that gives them concern. Making sure that they really understand what your compliance expectations are. So, looking internally, but also looking externally at your third parties. I think that's the best advice I can give.
0: Yeah, Leslie, that's music to my ears because one of my passions, and this is my day job, is you know, I build a lot of the compliance monitoring, I'll say post contract. After the event. And I think there's so much risk, like you said, so many companies spend so much money doing the upfront due diligence and contract negotiations. But once the vendor is set up or the third party is set up, there's no monitoring or no spend analytics or no spend or contract compliance monitoring that goes along behind the scenes. And I think that's where the majority of the risks are because right. anybody can perhaps lie or put in fake information to pass through the due diligence, but the actual behavior and how they're making payments to those third parties is where a lot of the risk is, and that's cash out the door. Yeah, so I think that's a great point. Well, with that, I really appreciate your time. And for those audience listeners out there, where can they get more information on uh, the Ethisphere on the compliance assessment platform? Just
1: go to our website, ethisphere.com. And I think there's actually information right there on the homepage about our assessments.
0: So great. Well, and I encourage you for those in the audience, take a look at that. And again, I appreciate you spending time with me, Leslie, on the pond. And okay. uh, with that, everybody stay safe. I guess say I'll say stay indoors <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for this time being and everybody be well. So I appreciate your time, Leslie, and take care, everybody.
1: Now, Thank you so much for having
0: me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Walden Pond Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review.